If you would stand, Philippians chapter number 1. Our text is in verse number 20, but for sake of context, and just because verse 21, 22, and 23 just seem so connected to verse 20, we're going to read verse 20 through verse number 23. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better." There's a phrase in verse 20 that our message comes from where Paul says that Christ shall be magnified in my body. And that's what I want to talk to you here this morning about is Christ magnified. Let's ask the Lord to bless this time together. Father, we thank you for what we've already uh, experienced today in Sunday school class, in the music service, and just the fellowship and your presence here among us. And Lord, you promised in your word where two or three are gathered together in your name that you would be in the midst of them. And Lord, we certainly desire your presence. We desire the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. And Lord, this message, this concept of Christ being magnified, Lord, I just want to admit publicly that I am incapable of magnifying you as you deserve. I pray that you would take these feeble words from this feeble messenger, and God, empower us to be able to present this truth in a manner that would get to the hearts of each and every listener, that it would be that spiritual medicine that we need. And we pray, Father, for your blessings. Perhaps there'd be someone listening that has never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. What a joy, what a blessing if you'd use this message today to draw them to you, Just have your will and way, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Christ magnified. I want to start out by saying that Christ will indeed be magnified. It is spoken about in his word in Philippians 2, verse number 10. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Every knee should bow. I have no problem with my knee bowing and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Romans 14, verse number 11, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every knee should bow today, but in the future, every knee shall bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing and what a joy to know that our Savior, while He is despised and rejected, while people spit upon His name, while people spit upon Him while He was alive on planet Earth, there's going to come a day where He is going to be magnified. And what a wonderful day that it will be for the human race. What a wonderful day here on planet Earth. But when I think about Christ being magnified, I think about how often we see things in a perspective. We don't see things the way that we ought to see them. Sometimes we think about how we see ourselves or how others see us. And so often we'll have 
times where, well, my nerves are just bad today, but others don't see us as having bad nerves. People see us as being a grouch or being cranky and uh, being uh, just being ill, if you will. I think that's a good Southern phrase. They're ill. And that's a spiritual problem. Sometimes we think, well, I'm just firm and confident, but everybody else sees us as obstinate and stubborn. Sometimes we think, well, I'm just being nice, but to others, they think we're being a pushover. And, you know, oftentimes our perception versus other people's perception, we don't always see it right. And sometimes we get misunderstood and others don't always see us right. We want to be seen as a Christian, but to some of the world out there, they just see us as religious. And in this day and age, being religious is not necessarily a compliment. But the fact of the matter is, or the question that's most important here today is, do others see Jesus Christ in you? I think about Peter and John, and you know, it said in Acts 4.13, it says, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, you can't spend time without Jesus, without Jesus rubbing off on you. We've been talking the last two weeks here on Sunday morning about the importance of the Word of God. When I spend time in the Bible, I'm spending time with Jesus Christ, and it rubs off on me, and it'll rub off on you as well. I remember years ago, my first experience when photocopiers became common. It used to be you'd have to go down to a print shop, but the photocopier that everybody has one in their office, and I remember when they were simple, and then... They got real complicated, or maybe complex, I should say, and you could do so many amazing things with the photocopier. You could take and you can zoom the picture. You put your original on there, and you can have it magnify it up to like 200%. I used to play around with that. I put something on there and put 200% and push the button and just see how big that everything could be, and it was like a toy to me. I was so infatuated with it that I wanted to I wanted to get a job and go sell copiers and I did that for a couple of years and didn't do too bad at it and probably I did good at it because I was so easily impressed. People thought I was excited about it cuz I was excited. It's like this is an awesome machine cuz to me it was. Magnifying, making something appear bigger than what it is. I had a little picture of the, the uh, my wife found it. She was digging through some, we've been kind of getting rid of some stuff and doing a little bit of fall cleaning around the house. And she found a picture the other day of me standing in front of a mobile home that my dad had bought back in mid eighties. And I'm standing, it's a picture and I'm standing there and I think it's me, but it's just, the picture of the house and I'm just real little in the picture. And you know what I did? I don't know if you've ever caught yourself doing it. I, I picked up the picture and I started trying to do this. And I'm like, it's not a phone. You know how on your phone you can spread your fingers at the touch and make it bigger on the screen. I'm like, you idiot, that's a picture. It doesn't work that way. But wouldn't you agree that as God's children, if Jesus is our Savior, don't you just want Christ to be magnified in your life? Paul desired that. 
He said, whether it be by life or by death, he said, I want Christ to be magnified in my life. Well, I got three points here this morning. It's not going to be a lengthy message. I, I, I'm pretty sure I can promise you that without breaking the promise like I have a hundred times before. <laughs> I, I, I purposely want to keep this simple so that we can walk out of here and just get these three simple points. Number one, we need to magnify Christ with the proper perspective. Notice here in our text, verse number 20, Paul says for, excuse me, verse 21, he says, for to me, for to me, I don't have the same perspective as you do, and you don't have the same perspective as you do. We all have a different perspective, and some days our perspective can be very skewed. Sometimes I think that the optic nerve gets crossed over with the nerves that go down to our feet, and we get a stinky outlook on life. We just don't always have the right perspective. But if we're going to magnify Christ, then we're going to do that with a proper perspective. A perspective is our mental view. It's our focus. They talk about perspectives in art. I'm not an artist, but I do know that perspectives has to do when you paint a picture. Uh, I I learned in art class that you, you know, you can paint that one dimensional picture. And then all you have to do is just take little lines at like a 45 degree angle and go this way and then fill it in and you have a 3D perspective. That's about all I learned in art. But that's enough. I guess I'm more of a draftsman than an artist. I don't mind drafting because I get help with that. But perspective takes something, it takes flat surfaces and gives them some type of a relative distance. Sometimes you look at a, at a painting and it's not the quality of the painting that draws your attention. It's how the artist can capture depths and light and all these different perspectives in one simple drawing or painting. Perspectives are very important. And when you think about the reality of Paul's life, uh, turn, hold your place here and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. And I, I want us all to remember that Paul had a proper perspective of life, but that doesn't mean that he had great circumstances in his life. Consider what he writes here in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 23. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. You know, Paul's, sometimes we look at the Christian life and suffering and things. We look at it as a competition. And people say, talk about their troubles that they're going through. And if we're not careful, we can become full of pride and we can look down. Oh, they're not going through anything as tough as what I've been through. It's not a competition. And Paul is trying to say here, I am making a point here, but This isn't a competition. I'm speaking as a fool, Paul is saying. I speak as a fool, and then he says, I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons, more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. 
and journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, watchings, that means he was up all night, stressing, uh, maybe praying a little bit, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then notice what he says in verse number 28. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, it's one thing to go through all of these physical hardships and sufferings when you're strong I mean, can you imagine? It's one thing to climb up a mountain. It's another thing to have a 200-pound pack strapped on your back. That makes it a little bit more difficult, a little bit more challenging. Paul says, I'm going through all of these physical hardships with a 200-pound strap strapped to my back, that burden of all of the churches. He says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? Paul's not Superman. Paul was not oblivious to his own feelings. Paul was not beyond getting his feelings hurt and being offended and all the different things. He was not oblivious. He had a, he had a perspective that you and I can't relate to all that he went through. I've never been beaten with rods because I preached the gospel. I've never received a, 40 stripes. I've never received 39 lashes on my back five different times just because I've been faithful to the Lord. Oh, how often I, I think about my times of whining and complaining and thinking that, oh, everything's so bad. And yet, you know, Paul, I'm glad that Paul spoke as a fool here because it helps me get a proper perspective. Paul says in verse 30, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. Paul understood that, that it's not a time to whine and complain and to gripe, but rather to glory. Why? Because all of this was coming upon him because of Jesus Christ and so that Christ could be magnified in his body, whether it be by life or by death. This was the reality of Paul's life, and yet his outlook was a reflection of his uplook. He said in Colossians 3, verse number 2, he said, Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. Paul's speaking as a fool, and he's telling about all the different troubles and trials that he's been through, but he says, I'm not... I'm not going to live as a fool. I'm not going to focus on all these things. I'm going to glory in these things. Why? Because I'm going to set my affection on things above, not on things of this earth. I personally believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people have argued by that, but you know what? I got a King James Bible here and the front page there of Hebrews, it says the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Hebrews. So if I got to lean toward anything, I'm just going to lean on my King James Bible good enough for me. He said in Hebrews 12, verse number two, he said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, a proper perspective. If we are going to magnify Jesus Christ, it starts with having a proper perspective. 
Two men looked out from prison bars. One saw mud, but one saw stars. We've got to make sure that we're looking up. Don't look down at your circumstances. Don't look at others. Don't view this as a competition. Don't view this as what are people thinking about me. Don't look at it as a pity party, but rather let's look up because our redemption draweth nigh. Number two, to magnify Christ, then we're going to have to magnify him with a peculiar perception. In Philippians 1, verse number 21, for to me, Paul says, that's his proper perspective, to live is Christ. That is a peculiar perception. Peculiar means that it's strange and unusual, something that particularly belongs to us. In Ecclesiastes 2, verse number 8, Solomon said, I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings. You know, the book of Hebrews says that we're supposed to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to be strange. Doesn't mean we're not strange. You know, God's people are not exactly, we're we're considered a little odd by people. I've said this before and it bears repeating. Preachers especially are an odd bunch. Thanks. (laughs) It's true. I get it. I totally get it. And I haven't figured out if God just has a sense of humor and calls strange people or maybe the ministry turns us into strange people. Maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know. But being strange or odd is not what peculiar is talking about. Peculiar is if you have a -a one-of-a-kind treasure. You know those kind that you see, like if you've ever watched Antiques Roadshow, and somebody will get something out of their attic that they don't think it's worth anything, and then they find out by an appraiser that, hey, this thing is worth a ton of money because it's a -a one-of-a-kind. That's what peculiar is. It's a treasure. And we're supposed to have a peculiar perception. Perception is to obtain knowledge, to understand. Paul didn't say to live is preaching. Paul loved to preach. He said that God chose the foolishness of preaching. Paul continually talked about his preaching. And he would say, pray for me that I'll speak the word of God as I ought to speak. Pray for us that we'll have boldness and so forth. Paul was very interested in preaching. But he didn't say, for to me to live is preaching. Paul went on three, maybe four missionary journeys. I mean, I appreciate the missionary work that Brother Brad Barkowski has been doing. I appreciate faithful missionaries that get the job done. We love missions here at Temple Baptist Church. Paul loved missions, but Paul didn't say, for to me to live is missions. Paul loved fellowship. Paul loved understanding Bible doctrine. God revealed so much Bible doctrine to him that God says, you know what, this is going to go to your head. I'm going to have to give you a thorn in the flesh just to keep you knocked down because you're just understanding too much. Paul was mighty in the scripture and then God added to that divine revelation, took him out into the wilderness and showed him the mystery of the church. Listen, if you want to understand the difference between the church and Israel... Just read the Apostle Paul. 
He'll give you that doctrine. There were things that the apostle Peter did not understand in Acts chapter number 4 and in Acts chapter number 10. It was progressive. But Paul was a, was the apostle to the Gentile. And God said, I'm going to pull, I'm going to save you and I'm going to take you aside and I'm going to spell out every detail of this mystery. Paul understood the Bible and he loved Bible doctrine, but he did not say, for to me to live is understanding the Bible. Preaching, missions, fellowship, understanding the Bible. These are all valuable things, but folks, valuable things in life doesn't mean that we should be living for them. Except maybe coffee. Right, Brother Max? No, I love coffee in the morning, but I'm not going to live for coffee. Sometimes I feel like maybe I wake up in the morning and I live for coffee, but coffee is important. Important things are important, but it doesn't mean that we live for those things. I love my wife, but I'm not supposed to live for my wife. Well, maybe not. She's supposed to be different. I don't know. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. It's amazing the empty things that we live for. Back when I was in high school, everybody was living for the weekend. We lived for recreation and for hobbies and for vices, for entertainment. I got right with the Lord in 1986, and prior to that, I'd been living for hunting and fishing. That was my life. And literally for almost five years, I had the only hunting or fish. I didn't do any hunting. The only time I went fishing was when the men of the church went on a overnight camping fishing trip. And I loved it because I got to, I, I got to do what I was supposed to be doing and still do something that I loved doing. You say, well, are you saying that it was wrong for you to go hunting and fishing? I think God just had to wean me off of that. I had to say, you know what? I don't want to get entrapped in that again because I used to live for those things. I don't want to live for those anymore. I want to live for Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, verse number 10, he said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Listen, there's some great things out there in life to enjoy, whether it be a recreation or a, a relationship or something, even coffee. <laughs> yes. But if we live for those things, it'll leave us empty and emptier and emptier. The only thing that fulfills is to have a peculiar perception and to live for Jesus Christ. A lot of messages and books have been written about the abundant life, but I can say with all certainty that there is an abundant life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Uh, it's found in that that peculiar perception that I'm living for Jesus Christ. And then number three, to magnify Christ, we magnify him with a pilgrim's 
perspective. Notice he says at the end of verse 21, he says, to die is gain. A pilgrim is a wanderer or a traveler. A perspective is a mental view, that which is to be expected. We, uh, I'm sure maybe if you have any investments, you will get a prospectus, which is kind of a, what, what you can expect to happen with your investments, whether it be a retirement account, whether it be something, some type of a stock market that you've invested in. Those companies will give you that prospectus. That's the same word that perspective comes from. We are to have a pilgrim's perspective. Paul knew that dying is gain. He knew that in death or life, it is a win-win situation. Many of you know that my father was killed in an accident some 25, I guess it's getting closer to 30 years now. I'm not good with dates and, uh, you know, I do have a sentimental bone in my body, but it's the little It's one of the little, it's the pinky bone right here. I'm just not as sentimental as my wife is. Maybe that's the way most of us men are, I don't know. But I've been enjoying getting rid of junk here lately. I've been through my shop and I'm just, I'm going through stuff. Why did I save that? I had some reason, you know, five years ago, ten years ago. But now it's like I have no idea why I saved that taking up space, get rid of it, sentiment. I had a point. I forget what the point was. Help me out, dude. (laughs) My dad was killed. Oh, (laughs) never mind. had nothing. The reason I can't remember the date, how many years ago that my dad was killed. I miss my dad. But I don't necessarily keep track of how many years he's been gone. Maybe I should. My dad was killed in an accident, and we flew down to Southern California, me and my mom, and then my sisters were able to get a flight the next morning, and they had him on life support. And I can remember vividly just standing there beside that trauma bed there in the trauma center, and they had him on full life support, machines and intravenous medicine were just doing everything. He, he was no longer there, and, but we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know, and we're praying for a miracle. And whenever things like this happen, I mean, you are hoping and praying for a miracle or for God to do something, and you just don't know what to think. But one thing is for certain, knowing that my dad was a born-again Christian, I could, I could stand there and have a pilgrim's perspective And to know that whether he lives or whether he's gone, it's still gain. It's a win-win situation for him as well as for us. Paul's confidence here was based upon understanding and not just on sentiment. You know, we, I'm not against sentiment, being sentimental, but so often the afterlife, we, we get so sentimental about the afterlife, but Sentiment doesn't matter. What matters is the Scripture, the truth of the Word of God. Paul said clearly in Philippians, he said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said, I've got a desire to depart and to be with Christ. That's why we could say that Fanny Crosby, that song, I shall know him, has been fulfilled by her. She doesn't have to wait for the 
the, the rapture and the trumpet to sound, she is in the presence of Jesus Christ. She sees what he looks like. My dad sees what he looks like. My mom sees what he looks like. I don't base that on a hope-so sentiment. I base it on what the Word of God says in clarity that they're saved and I can know they're in heaven. I know I'm saved and so I know that I'm going to see my loved ones again. That doesn't mean that Paul had a death wish or that we should have a death wish. In fact, he says in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse number 25 through verse 27, he talks about a man named Epaphroditus who was very dear to him, someone that he trusted to go and minister to them. And uh, he was important to Philippi, and Philippi was important to him. But notice what he says in verse 27, For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should sorrow upon sorrow. Hey, death is a win-win situation, but that doesn't mean that we look at it kind of from some weird perspective, like it's not a time of sorrow or sadness. I've shared this with you before, and once again, I'm not nitpicky about terminology. I know what people are saying. When we go to a funeral... I understand that we are celebrating the life that they lived, but you know, to me, it, it's not, it, it's not a joyous occasion. It is in my soul. It is in my mind, but in my spirit, my emotions are still sad. I'm still sorrowing. I'm still grieving. Even Jesus Christ wept there at the tomb of Lazarus. He knows, he knew he was going to see Lazarus in just a few moments. And yet he still wept as compassion. Because he knew that others were hurting. And listen, Paul didn't have a death wish, but he did have a pilgrim's perspective. And if we're going to magnify Jesus Christ, we're going to have to get over ourselves and start living for the next life and keep our eyes toward that and just remember that whatever goes on in the here and the now, we're just passing through. And what really matters is the there and the then. What a great hope, a blessed hope that we have as believers. As I conclude here this morning, I haven't mentioned yet, and I I, I want to mention this, to magnify is to exaggerate or to make something appear larger than what it is. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 7, Paul said, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. To have a proper perspective, to have a pilgrim's perspective, all of these things in magnifying Christ does not mean that we aren't still going through this life in an earthen vessel. We're just, we're just made of clay. And we're weak doesn't mean that we float around like we're super spiritual and whatnot. Doesn't mean we're always gonna feel spiritual. It means that we go through this sin-cursed world and this sin-cursed body and we do the best that we know by faith, trusting God, believing His Word and ignoring our feelings and our circumstances. Paul wasn't some super saint. He just had learned how to magnify Christ regardless of his circumstances. 
as I summarize the message here this morning, if our attitude, what's our attitude? That's that proper perspective. Or our understanding, what's our understanding? That's a peculiar perception. Or our confidence, our confidence is a pilgrim's perspective. Our attitude, understanding, or confidence, if they get turned around, then we decrease the visibility of Christ in our life. My wife let me borrow this. I guess it's, these are very old. I think they're like, what, World War II binoculars? Maybe Revolutionary War binoculars. You know what? Uh, We can go like this. It's like, I can't see Jesus. Where are you, God? Have you abandoned me? Well, you know, when you look through it like that, everything is smaller than it really is. When our attitude and our understanding and our confidence is all turned around, then Christ, we we can't see him. He seems so far away. What do we do to magnify him? You know what the Bible word for turning something around is, don't you? Repent. We repent. I gotta, I gotta quit thinking the way that I'm thinking. I gotta stop having this perspective that's based on my circumstances and I gotta turn that around. And when we do, then all of a sudden Christ is magnified, kind of like Sam and Jonathan back there. That's enough of that. When we repent, when we turn things around, we get a good outlook, and it depends on a good uplook. We get an abundant life, and we find out that that abundant life is only through Jesus Christ, not through our circumstances. And we remember that to the Christian, death or life is only a location. You ever thought about that? Death or life is just a geographical location. Paul said, we're already sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As the song says, I'm just waiting. I'm already there in Jesus. I'm waiting for my body to be. Charles Spurgeon lay on his deathbed and he testified to a friend. And he said this, my theology now is found in four little words. Jesus died for me. I don't say this is all I would preach if I were to be raised up again, but it is certainly more than enough for me to die on. Are you magnifying Christ in your life today? Let's magnify Christ together. Do you know that's what the psalmist said? He said, oh, let us magnify the Lord together. Wouldn't you like to magnify the Lord with me? Wouldn't you like to have a life to where Jesus Christ is magnified and other people see him? And we, I I want Randy Mitchell to decrease. And like John the Baptist said, he must increase. And that's what we should want as God's children to magnify Jesus Christ, whether it be in life or death in our body, and in our spirit. Let's glorify and magnify him because he certainly is worthy.